Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good evening Life Changes. I always love preaching the first Sunday of every year. It's been, I think, it's almost third year running, I think, and the reason why I love it so much is I think people come with a different expectancy on the first Sunday. Uh, it's an expectancy either of the space to say, Lord, I'm looking forward to an amazing, phenomenal year ahead, or Lord, please don't let last year happen again to me. <laughs> it's one of the two. Um, but there's a, there's a sense of expectancy, whether or not you make New Year's resolutions, whether or not you believe in setting fresh goals in the beginning of the year, it's a fresh start. Um, and there's something special about coming to the church as part of that fresh start. And for today, I'm going to kick off and just tell you a bit of a story. Um, and here's the picture of what the story is about. So this is the Lake of Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee. In the Bible, they refer to it as a lake, as a sea, a range of different things. This is it when it's calm. And we're going to just jump straight into some scripture and see how a story around this lake can be used to help us better understand the year ahead for us and what God has in store. Is that cool? Yeah. So, if you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 14 from verse 22. It's a big portion of scripture. Many of you may have read it before, but just start reading it with fresh eyes. Uh, one of the things I realized is that it took me many, many years to actually pick up a pen and, and write in my Bible. I have so many Bibles that are just completely clean and it was so breathtaking just to start underlining and scribbling. So I'm going to encourage you to do the same if you want to. So as we start reading from verse 22, it says, Immediately, and that's where you can underline, immediately. Immediately, okay? Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the shore, from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. And the line, terrified. There we go. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus Immediately, there's that word again, said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, so word again, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Where we go and can we pray? Yeah. Holy Spirit, we thank you that we are all here and you reveal the word to us. I pray that you open up our hearts open up our ears just to really hear what you're trying to say to your church, but what you're trying to also say to us personally. May it become 
life to us. May we walk away at challenged. May we walk away at changed, becoming more and more like you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Cool. So, Happy New Year, everybody. I never know how long you have to say that for. You know, I, I've always heard it's a thing that when you see somebody for the first time, then you say Happy New Year. But I find myself in April, Happy New Year, Happy Easter. Uh, when do you stop? But anyway, for now, it's still early days. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, wishing you all of the best. Uh, and even if things don't go well, I'm hoping that part of the message today will just, just spur you on, even through some troubling times, if you face them this year. So, who sets New Year's resolutions? Anybody. This morning we realized that Wayne Barthas does not set New Year's resolutions. He's quite against it. Anybody? Hands up. Who sets a New Year's resolution? There we go. He says, now, I just set some goals. Anybody just sets goals? Okay, it's the same thing. You're just trying to, you know, make it sound different. It's the same thing. But some of us, we choose to set some sort of a new way of doing things in the beginning of the year. Sometimes we let ourselves down, but it's, it's quite fun. Um, but let's look at some of the most popular ones that happen throughout the year. I've got five really popular ones, and maybe you can relate to some of them. So the first one. Now, I didn't know what this picture was when I first saw it, but now that is a hobby horse. Okay, I always thought a hobby horse was just finding a hobby, but there was once a thing called a hobby horse, and that there is it. But one of the goals that people often set for New Year's resolutions is they come up with a hobby, and they want to take up something cool. So some of you might ha may have some of those hobbies. Every year, I know Mark Van Pletsen is going to be back in two weeks' time. He's, this year is the year of the athlete, and it's been the same year for how many years now? It's been interesting for, since he got jammed, probably before. But um, maybe there's some hobbies you want to take up. Some really, really famous hobbies that nobody knows about is, for instance, there's actually a hobby horse called mooing. Go online, it's a competitive hobby that people take up to moo and to make cow noises. So there's some crazy hobbies out there, but maybe some of these you might get excited. Competitive dog grooming, okay? It's, it's serious in some cultures. Um, if anybody wants to take it up, I've got a golden retriever that needs some competitive dog grooming right now. You're more than welcome to loan him for a bit. If that doesn't tickle your fancy, how about some soap carving, okay? Making pretty decorations, Google it. There are leagues related to soap carving, okay? So if you're just going with the normal stuff, here are some challenges for you. Train spotting, okay? This isn't the movie, although there is a movie coming out again this year with a very old, I'm forgetting his name, Ewan McGregor. But um, there's actually a hobby called train spotting. Guys sit at the station and they watch trains. and Oh, this one went past and, and people do it. So... If you see somebody watching trains, maybe that's what they're doing. Um, let's think of some different ones. Interesting one, you've all heard of navel gazing when you just look you know, inwards and you're all about yourself. There's a hobby called navel fluff collecting. Okay. <laughs> it is true. It does happen. Anybody on your list for this year? Hopefully not. You might be closely linked to the other one. Um, no, no, it's just that one, just that one. Another one which is lots of fun to Google, extreme ironing. I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> Guys on the edge of cliffs, it's crazy, and they're sitting there in the ironing clothes. It exists. That one I think is pretty cool. I really do like that one. And then one other last fun one, Hickory Doradango. Okay, it's a good one. You might want to write it down, but it's polishing dirt. People collect dirt, and they rub it and create little polished items out of it and collect it. 
Very strange. So when you, if, if a hobby horse is one of your goals this year, awesome. If it's not one of those, awesome. <laughs> Maybe it's something normal like going for a jog. That's cool too. So that might be one of your hobbies. But some other popular ones is deepening relationships with family and friends. Sometimes you say, look, actually this year I really need to deepen a relationship with a mom, with a brother, with a sister. Those are great goals to have. I did a quick poll recently with the team I work with, and I said, what are your three top values? And if it wasn't health, it was relationships. Then I said, okay, well, have you got a vision for your relationships? And nobody did. And the, the truth is, if you have a goal to be an amazing father this year, Gabe Phillips, coming soon, if you have a goal of being an amazing father this year, what is your vision of being a father? What's your three-year plan? What's your five-year plan? What are your goals you're setting? What does it look like? Often we, excuse me, we set goals for everything else, except when it comes to relationship, we set a goal, but we don't have a vision. So it's not part of this preach, but I think it's an important one that if relationships are important, set real visions as to what it can look like for you. Some of you might be wanting to pay off debts. You might want to pay off a car. You might want to just get out of debt, sort out the credit card. Good goals to have. Some of you might want to find a job. Or maybe you want to get promoted. Those are very popular goals. And then some of you might want to get fit. You're the athlete. If you look at this, anybody who's around about my age will recognize this. It was on Huyamoda, South Africa, before when TV actually started at Hopper 6 in the mornings. And these guys were called the Body Beat Boys. Anybody remember the song? I see some nods. I'm not going to sing it now, but it goes something like, Body, Body, Beat Boys, Beat Boys. Remember that? Bongi's like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I woke up with porridge, do that every morning, and watch these guys in Borat costumes dancing around. So, but maybe the goal is to get fit, and that's a good goal. Health-related goals are big, but maybe the goal is to actually start eating better. I laughed at this one, but... Yeah, finally settling down to, some, to my vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, antibiotic-free, raw, non-GMO, organic, fat-free, zero-carb meal. Enjoy, if this is you, good times ahead. But I look at these and I say, if these are the most popular goals around the world for New Year's resolutions, there has to be more than this to life. If this is it, there must be more to this. And I look at this greater things that has been up here the whole time. Every time I come to this church, I'm so challenged by greater things because God's calling us to much more than those five goals for our lives. We do that every year. Yes, great, but there's more. And I just want to touch on some scriptures as to why there's more. So John 10 verse 10, the second half of it says, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it in its fullness. Are we having life in fullness? Are we having abundant life? Are we settling for these five goals and that's it for life? Luke 4, 18 to 19, this is what Edwin mentioned earlier. Jesus spoke about himself, a prophecy that came from Isaiah and said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that was Jesus' call of what he was here to do, okay? But then, what about us? Ephesians 2 said, 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
And one of the most challenging scriptures I've ever come across that grips me every time is John 14, verse 12 to 14. And Jesus says, Verily, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things. Every time I see that, I look at that Isaiah scripture and I say, Am I healing the brokenhearted? Am I giving sight to the blind? Am I releasing captives? Am I taking people who are far away from Jesus closer to him? And I look at it and I say, Lord, I'm not doing, I'm not that. But I'm wanting that. I don't want to be eating my, my plate of ice and, and, and my exercise in the morning. Not just that, there's more. And I'd love for us to just figure out and say, Well, Lord, what can we learn from the scripture that we just read to challenge us for the more? So let's just go back to this next picture. And this is actually what the Sea of Galilee probably looked like that day. It wasn't flat and pretty like the first one I gave you because there was a storm. And these were the 12 disciples in the boat. And let's see, well, what can we learn from this? 12 men, a boat, a storm, a savior called Jesus walking on the water. So the first point that we can learn from the story and try and apply it to the year ahead for us is the call of immediately. Remember I mentioned immediately came up again and again. It came up three times. But the first one in verse 22, it said, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boats and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Immediately. Now what had happened before? Now, you might be aware of the story where Jesus fed the 5,000. He had 5,000 people on the shore who were getting hungry and there wasn't enough food. There was some fish and some bread. Jesus lifted up to the Father and multiplied it and fed 5,000 people. That had just happened. Now, if I was the disciples, I would have been like, no, Lord, I, I want to be here. This is where the magic's happening. Jesus wasn't going with them. He said, go. I would have wanted to connect with those people, hear their story, pray for them, be there. It was so exciting. But in the middle of that amazing miracle, Jesus has this urgency to say, okay, we're done here. What's the next mission? What's the next thing for you? Immediately, Jesus said, go to the other side. How often can we get caught in our last miracle? We get caught and we stay there. Sadly, for many of us, and for many years when I was a Christian, it was me too, that our last miracle was getting saved. Come, we give our hearts to the Lord. 10, 15 years later, we're still saying, oh, God's so good. He saved me from this. But hey, he's got more. He doesn't want you to sit in that last miracle and stay there. Um, so the first thing is, let's not stay in the past. Let's really seek God and say, well, Lord, what are you sending me on to for next? What's that next thing? And there's an urgency. Let's not forget immediately. There's an urgency that God wants to send us forward. Number two, the storms that accompany obedience. So when we respond to Jesus and he says immediately I'd like you to go and we go, generally, <laughs> generally the storms come with it. Generally it's not going to be smooth sailing. And this is part of reality. Sometimes we want this amazing life of smooth sailing, no challenges, pure comfort. But, you know, you've heard the saying that idle hands is the devil's playground. Comfort is that. If we get caught up, we're actually just staying back in the old miracle. When we need to move forward, we need to grow. And God puts us through challenges to help us to grow. But generally, when he calls us, and when we are truly following his call, there's going to be a storm. 
And how do we respond to the storm is so important. The New Living Translation just said the storm, spoke about it well. It said, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. The trip should have taken them about two hours. Okay? Now, they were probably about six hours in the water rowing against the wind. You'll see that Jesus only came just before dawn to meet them. And they had left the previous night. So, the storms may follow, um, but that may just be a sign that you're being obedient to God. And God wants you to respond differently to the storms. Number three, now when you're in the storm and you're being obedient to God's call, life through the lens of the storm might look different. So verse 25 says, shortly before dawn, again, they're, they're rowing, they're tired, they're just like, God, why, where are you sending us? We're not getting there. You know, we wish we had just stayed on the shore. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So they knew Jesus. <laughs> they had been with him. They would walked with him. Sometimes in the middle of a storm where things aren't going well, Jesus can be walking right toward us, can be standing right in front of us, and we don't even recognize him. We recognize a ghost. And it's an easy thing. We hear the saying that we make mountains out of molehills. And I realize that sometimes when I get stressed, something stresses me. And the next thing that usually doesn't stress me now stresses me. And, and the next thing I'm freaking out because of like something so little. And then somebody could come along to actually really mean me well. Or maybe God's trying to open up a door for me. I don't see it. Because I'm looking at life through the storm and not actually recognizing what Jesus is doing. Now how do we open our eyes to really see what he's doing? But sometimes the lens within the storm is a four-letter word. It begins with F. <laughs> Fear. Fear is the lens that we sit within the storm. We're petrified. I get petrified. There's different types of fears that keep us within the storm. So, did you know that when we were born, okay, that there's only two types of fears that we can get born with? A lot of people say, no, but I'm scared of people. I'm born like that. No, you aren't. The only ones you're born with is the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Who's scared of loud noises? I think we've all kind of gotten used to it now. <laughs> Who's scared of falling? Well, maybe, but you know, that's it. Everything else is a learned fear. Everything else we've accumulated over time. So, yeah, some fun fears before I look at some ones that might hit home a bit more. Pentherophobia. Anybody have pentherophobia, yeah? The fear of mother-in-laws. Anyone? <laughs> yeah? yeah? See that hand? Ablutophobia, the fear of bathing. There might be the people who do the soap sculptures. They'd rather use it for another method. Chromatophobia, the fear of money. That's an interesting one. Anybody? Scared of money? <laughs> I think yeah, some of us will have it instead, yeah? Arachibutrophobia, the fear of peanut butter sticking to the top of one's palate. <laughs> That's a big one, eh? Um, Anatidaphobia, the fear of being watched by a duck. <laughs> I think that one's pretty cool. I think if a, if a duck was watching me, I'd be pretty scared. <laughs> you know, just this duck. Oh, dear. Um, and then maybe the, the toughest one I think that comes up is phobophobia. 
the fear of fear. What do you do with that? Sure, okay. But more common ones that you might find, and maybe you can relate to some of these. I'm just going to touch on a few. The fear of facing people that are in power over you or in authority. The fear of speaking in public. The fear of being rejected. That's a big one. The fear of aging. The fear of being exposed. The fear of being alone. The fear of the unknown. The fear of failing. Fear of failing. I'll say that a few more times. I think it resonates with a lot of people. But the fear of success is even there. Some people are so scared of success that they won't take chances and they get stuck because they're scared of, of how they will respond to it. Fear of not getting what you want, the fear of intimacy, the fear of illness. Now there's many more fears, but is let's all say, I mean, a couple of those I sit with. Anybody? Some of those? You sit with them, and they're real. So Zig Ziglar, who's a leadership writer, he, he sort of coined, not coined, but shared this in terms of understanding what fear is. He says that there's two responses to fear. The first one is forget everything and run. And the second one is face everything and rise. And if you're looking at the story that we were looking at, it's kind of like the disciples were in that boat between forgetting everything and running and staying in the boat versus a Peter who actually rose up and tried to do something. One of the things just with fear, and the last comment on this is that I said that you're only born with two, okay? And a cool saying about learning, it says, it says that 50% of learning is about learning. The other 50, 50% is about unlearning. And often, uh, when we're trying to learn things and so forth, that, that God wants us to unlearn a whole bunch of stuff. There's a lot of scriptures where Jesus is saying again and again, he says, you've heard about this, but now I tell you this. And I think a lot of the times of the way in which we see the world, the way in which we see storms, the way in we, which we see everything in our lives, Jesus wants to say, you've looked at it this way, but I want to show you this way and help us to unlearn some stuff. Point number four. is often in the storm we no longer recognize Jesus. I mentioned that a bit just now. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. You don't recognize Jesus, that he's right there. And then it just makes it so much tougher. So that's just some of the, the nuances or understandings that we get from the text that we could find ourselves with year on year. I like what Edwin said up front. Is in the beginning, we psyched for the year, and at the end of the year, we're like, oh, let this year finish. But God's consistent, and he's constant. So what can we learn from these guys that we can apply to the year ahead? To really have it be a good year beyond those five meaningless little goals, two greater things goals. So I look at this picture and I say, okay, well, who are we going to learn from first? And I see three types of people here. I see sitters, I see sinkers, and I see Jesus. So if I had to entitle the message, it's really, are you a sitter or are you a sinker? Yes, Peter walked in water. We can say, great, I want to be a Peter. I walked in water. But actually, yes, he did, but he also sank. Are we, which one do we want to be? Do we want to stay in the boat as sitters or do we want to be sinkers? Who can we learn from? But I think we need to start with not just Peter. Let's start with the sitters. 92% of people within that boat did nothing. They stayed in the boat. 
and we often don't necessarily look like that, look at them. So my question to you after speaking about fear is to ask yourself really, what, what is your boat? You know, what is that boat that where Jesus is on the water right there calling you, you can see he's there, or maybe you can't see he's there because you're so stuck within the storm, but the boat of fear or the boat of something or a specific type of fear is holding you back to just settle for, I'm going to do cool exercises this year, get a bit healthier, and tick off boxes. This greater thing, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but that's what God's calling us to. So what is your boat? Um, for me personally, and we each have our own boats, and I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit reveals a sense of this to you, but for me personally, it was fear of people. I was petrified. I may have said it to some people before, but literally until I was 22 years old, I could not stand in front of anybody and speak. I was just petrified of people. In high school, I really I dodged break time because I could not have the courage to go and spark a conversation with somebody. Sometimes if a friend, my one or two friends, if they didn't rock up at school, I would stay in a classroom or stay in the bathroom or anything during break because I was petrified of people. But God took that fear at about the age of 22 when he, he called me to speak to a youth group and start telling people about him. God called that fear out. I had to face that fear. And God started using something within that fear to create a faith journey for me. And I've spoken in front of over a thousand people. And I can speak now to people with power. Am I scared? Yes. Still petrified. But God has a way of sometimes taking our fears and translating them into something that he's going to be glory for that is a greater thing than just staying there. So I just want to encourage you, what is your boat? And perhaps tonight God wants to set you free and take you, take you out of it. So how do we step out? Let's look at the life of Peter and say, what steps could we take to get out of this boat? Even if we might sink. So let's look at Peter. And the first step that I see with Peter is that we are called to be called to obedience. Some of you might be saying, but I haven't got a call of God in my life. I don't know a specific call. And I'm, oh, I'm waiting for God for this call. Well, while you're waiting for God for this call, God calls you to be obedient to his word. Yeah. And his word says that we need to be witnesses. And we need to be telling people about his love. And we need to be living in obedience to his word. And we need to be, those are all things. And he calls us to obedience. If we don't have a specific call, that's the call. And Peter did something there. God doesn't expect us to say, well, he has my fear. Let me jump out of the boat and do a belly flop. No. <laughs> he wants us to use wisdom. So Peter actually said, I think it's a ghost, but maybe it's Jesus. said, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus said, come. And he responded with obedience. Sometimes in the storm or when things get really tough, you just need to say, Lord, if it's you, yeah, tell me to come. And then it's, it's going to be tough, but take that step in obedience to him saying, come. So first step is, even if you don't yet know the call, you're called to obedience, and we all are. So there's no excuses there. Number two, we are called to something worth more than our fears, and it is our fears that may lead us there. I mentioned that with my own story, that my career now is something that 
was exactly my fear. And it's only God. But sometimes God could be taking your biggest fear and your biggest breakthrough and greater thing could be sitting on the other side of that. <coughs> sometimes it's easier to say, Lord, take away the fear. But maybe he won't because he's actually saying, no, 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 come. I want, I want to see you on the other side and be your strength through this. So there's a saying here, it says, faith is not the absence of fear, it is the feeling that something else is more important than your fear. Psalm 112.1 is one example. It says, praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So we've got this fear, he has all our fears, but our greatest fear is actually, it's actually God. And saying, God, I'm wanting to obey you. That's bigger than any other fear that I have. And I'm going to choose to do that first. So Peter, just an interesting note, is that Peter, he stood out against this fear. Did fear go away from there on? No. Peter's the same person who a little while later denied Jesus three times because he was so scared about what people would say or that maybe he would also end up persecuted or whatever it is. And he's the same person that after all of this, Jesus said to him, he called him a rock. So despite him having this consistent fear, this acts of faith that kept him coming from him and a revelation he had of Jesus, Jesus called him a rock and he said, I'll build my, build my church on, on you, Peter. So number three, we are called to trust Jesus. Trust is a big thing. Jesus wants us to understand how trustworthy he really is. Psalm 56.3 says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Not when I'm afraid, I'm going to stay there. I'll trust. And how can we just start trusting in God? Every, you can go through it through Scripture if you want to write some down. Joshua 1, nine, Isaiah 43.1, there's more. But it says again and again, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you. He has redeemed you. He has summoned you. I, you are mine, he says. Again and again, he says, do not fear. And there's always an add-on to that to say, just trust me. Trust me through this. In this trust process, and we're getting on to the last part of this, in this trust process is this, this picture where, yes, did Peter walk in water? Yes, he did. Did he sink? Yes, he did. <clears throat> but there's a huge revelation that Peter got from sinking. Let's read there from verse 30. It said, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Again, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him immediately. Peter had a revelation that as soon as things started getting out of control, Jesus was right there. The other 12 in the boat didn't have that revelation. And it's an amazing thing to just take and say, Lord, if things go wrong, it's fine. You're right there. You're right there. Immediately, he responds. And the last point, he wants our faith to outweigh our fear. Okay? Fear might still stay there. Maybe he takes, maybe he doesn't. But he wants our faith to outweigh it. Because Jesus, when he reaches and he pulls Peter up, he says, you have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt now, I used to read this and think, oh, you embarrassed, Peter. No, there's a storm. The guys on the boat can't hear him. Jesus brings him up and just says to him, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? He's calling him to more. He's saying, look, there's more for you. Just, you could have trusted me there. Just keep trusting me. It's a, it's a loving, loving sort of character 
of God, just saying there's more. Come on, let's do this again. Hebrews 11, 1 talks about faith. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we don't see. Wayne told me this morning, he said, this cool quote, it says that fear builds mountains, faith removes them. And if you think about it, it says that faith as small as a mustard seed will say to this mountain, be moved. But how often does our fear make mountains out of so much more? Little things suddenly become mountains. And God's just saying, faith as mountains will be moved. Um, so I think the biggest thing when it comes to faith is that we need to understand that God wants our faith to be bigger than our fear. And faith comes by hearing the word of God. It comes from actually reading the word of God. Romans talks about this renewing of our minds through the word of God. There's truth in this because it counteracts fear. It builds a new way of seeing storms. It helps us to recognize Jesus within everything. And it builds something that we can start stepping out of the boat regularly and again and again and again. So God's calling us to build and practice our faith. And it starts with getting into the word of God and getting closer to him, and you'll see how he starts building our faith. The last scripture I just want to touch on is this. Hebrews 12, verses 2. It says, Therefore, since we were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with endurance the race set out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So this year, realize that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. The devil says that he goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He brings accusations and says, you are not good enough to be a children of God. You've messed up. You've done this. And he makes a loud noise to get us scared. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I am the perfecter of faith. I'm going to bring you up. I'm going to take you to the Just trust me. And I think tonight, I want us to respond to this call. There's different calls here from this simple story. The first one is that you might have rocked up here tonight. And you might say, I've never, ever been called. (laughs) I've never been called by Jesus. And... In the Bible, it says that Jesus, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If you open up the door for me, I will come in and sup with you. So God's calling. Jesus is calling right now. If you've never been called, and he wants you to say, okay, come and respond. The second response is that you may feel that you're stuck in your last miracle. and You're camping there. Something cool happened. God did something amazing, but that's it. And God's wanting to call you to more. And say immediately, come, I've got a bigger journey for you. That might be you who's stuck in that last miracle. Maybe the last miracle is when you got saved. God's calling you to more. Thirdly, you may be stuck in a lifestyle of disobedience. And God's saying, no, no, the, the initial call is just a call to obedience. And this year, besides any other goal, let the goal be, Lord, I want to obey you. And I want to obey your word, and I want to live this life of obedience. And then lastly, it could be a call to grow our faith so that our faith is greater than our fears and we can start stepping out of boats. And whatever that is for you, I really feel that God wants, at the start of this year, to start showing you what the boat is and calling you on this faith journey to start taking steps. And 